0: is it a Monday club and a Tuesday club Uh, well, was Monday and the Tuesday club and then when you you text me Tuesday there was a way I was going on Wednesday that's fair enough (laughs) subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts the Sunday papers
1: on off the ball Our Sunday Papers, great to have you with us. So I'll run you through the front pages. As you might imagine, the rugby dominates. So we've a picture here at the Sunday Independent and it's Matt Hansen. Uh, just after he went over for uh, Ireland's second try, start of the second half and he's throwing the ball in the air and he's got Jimmy O'Brien for company. Undisputed number one is the headline. Uh, but Sexton insists Ireland have won. Nothing yet is the front page of the Sunday Independent. Sunday Mirror, they've uh, Peter Mahoney, Post match, giving a thumbs up to the camera. Worldies, Farrell praises Irish heroes as mighty boxer beaten, but Sexton urges caution. And then Ace Reese is a world champion. So, Reese McLennahan, uh, crowned world champion. First ever Irish gymnast to be crowned a world champion. He won uh, gold on the pommel horse at the World Artistics Gymnastic Championships in Liverpool in the final yesterday. 23 years of age, and he just missed out in Tokyo as well. He was desperately unlucky at the last Olympic Games to miss out in Tokyo. Um, Sorry, excuse me, he finished seventh at Tokyo, but he was uh, in the mix for uh, potentially medal places. So a big day for him. We have Sunday Times and again, it's Matt Canson, see you in France, which I guess was an aspect of yesterday. Ireland will play South Africa on September 23rd in Paris. Ireland lay down World Cup marker with victory over Springboks. And then O'Neill hits back at critic Keith Andrews. This is Martin O'Neill, who's uh, taken aim at uh, Keith Andrews in his new autobiography, which we'll come to in just a moment. It's uh, serialized there in the Sunday Times. Uh, Sun Sport again. It's uh, Matt Hansen on the uh, top. Andy Slingin and the Rain world champions KO'd, and then Erling Haaland. Uh, says scoring for Manchester City in the last minute yesterday, one of the most nervous moments of my life. He took a last minute penalty to win the game for City. Uh, Matt Doherty also on the back page of The Sun here insisting there's no personal issue between him and Antonio Conte. And The Sun also on that back page have Reese to the top. Reese Mcglennon yesterday making history. Ireland's first ever gymnastics world champion. Uh, mail on Sunday. Again, same picture, Matt Hansen. It was, I mean, it was an amazing moment when he went over. Ireland 19, South Africa 16, Ireland top of the world after defeating the reigning champions. says Rory Keane. Sunday World, if you're into this kind of thing, have a new format, new font on their uh, back page. So Box Office is the headline. Ireland lay down a World Cup marker with thrilling win over the champions and Klopp's war chest is their other headline. So Jurgen Klopp has been given the green light to embark on an overhaul of the Liverpool squad says uh, Kevin Palmer on the back page of the Sunday World. Very happy to say Kenneth Foley, journalist and broadcaster here in the studio as is Roy O'Connor of the Irish Independent. You're both very welcome. You. Uh, you were at the Aviva Stadium last night. I was. Even though at half time it was only six points apiece it was a bloody interesting six points apiece first half and then second half took off.
0: yeah yeah, no, it was. I thought I found it, We we'll come to it. I think Neil Francis is quite talk, talking down the quality that was on show, and and yeah. takes almost a counterpoint view on it. But I thought it was a really high quality. Um, uh, you know, sorry, I'm falling into the trap of calling it absorbing, uh, absorbing test match. But it was it, it. From minute one, the level of physicality on display was was off the charts. And look, there's an undercurrent. The hair going. Is this healthy for the game in the long term? But there is still something fascinating about seeing players of that size thundering into each other with, with such a level of ferocity and intensity. And but Bernard Jackman has the line in the piece. Um, he met one of the injured box, he doesn't name him in the in the corporate box before the before the game. He'd mm. been to the team hotel and you can almost I I can't do a South African accent so I'm not gonna try, but he's said, you know he <laughs> said on. to him Give I promise try. you the boys are effing up for this. Um, and they were and they tore into Ireland. I mean I was talking to Brendan Moran from Sportsfile as I was leaving last night. He said the sound of the collisions on the pitch was just breathtaking, you know, that the, 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 you could, the even in the full right stadium, they're right yeah, up, yeah, yeah, we're miles away up the top. <laughs> the um, and they heard, you know, the, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the visual, it was the the, the, the thundering nature of it. And, and you can Im- imagine that. So it was, um, they threw everything at Ireland. Huh? Peter set the just, or the toy he was just like, everything he hit was just laced with venom. It was ridiculous. Sexton got nailed about four or five times just on that line. They're brilliant at it, that line where he just delivered the pass. It's not quite late you know, it's not late enough to be against the rules, but it's late enough to leave Sexton in a heap on the ground. And Ireland found a way. You know, I thought I, I thought at six all at half time I and with furlong Murray and Murray turned out to be a blessing in disguise really but um, and McCluskey in particular going off, I really feared for Ireland in that second half, and they proved me wrong. You know, a lot of stuff that I've been questioning in, in here and in the paper that I worried about this Irish pack, they proved me wrong, and that's 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 a great thing for them to be. Able, not that that's the important part, but like you know, they they there's a lot less doubts about this Ireland team now than there was you know five thirty yesterday. Can
1: I show you how uh, life's all about opinions? <laughs> uh, Neil Francis. This was no thriller. This is the point about the quality. This yeah. was no thriller because he had opened by uh, referencing thriller in Manila. And if anybody says that this was a match for the purists, then they are sadly mistaken. I'll flick over to Bernard Jackman. At halftime, the score was six points apiece. One of the most entertaining <laughs> 12-point halves I've watched. It was one for the purists, I admit, but the level of physicality and cat and mouse that we witnessed was right at the highest level of the game. So we have Neil Francis saying Neil the Francis says, yep. quality wasn't good. Bernard Jackman thought Nick was great. Neil
2: Francis says the box kicking from all the halfbacks was pub team standard. <laughs> well, it yeah. wasn't a good day for kickers <laughs> right.
0: to be fair. I'm with they, them they got, the like they, they got their selection of 10 wrong. Yeah. Their attack still leaves an awful lot to be desired. I mean there was a couple of times in that second half where there was they had overlaps and rather than give the pass they tucked and ran and it was criminal. But I mean he has a line in it and like, Neil Francis is an international second row himself and he says that Etzebeth and Diaga are a long way short of the class of Bucky Baki, Bucky's both and Victor Matfield. The publicity machine tells us that these guys are superstars, but the evidence suggests otherwise. Yeah. I'm sorry. He, he's obviously forgotten about the World Cup final where they mm. absolutely like monstered the England pack. The England pack that had monstered Ireland a couple twice in the previous year had just destroyed New Zealand the week previously. Like that was one of the greatest 4 pack performances. I was there. I'll, I'll never forget the way they ground England into the submission that day. Look, this wasn't a World Cup final. I think they'll be better in ten months' time. Yeah. But to say that they're not that, that they're bang average is just—I think that's wrong. I mean, that Etzebeth is a phenomenal player. He might not be the most visionary. I mean, he threw an unbelievable offload oh, for Lorenz, they side. Like they yeah. showed what they can do in the end. But um, I think that's unfair. I think that, well, that diminishes one. Um,
1: he won't mind me saying it, but even. During the match, I think at least three times Rob Kearney almost talking to himself in the studio said, that's a incredible. Yeah, yeah. He, that, yeah. Was, that was fantastic. He didn't, I don't think he, he got a chance at full time to mention it. But so are you more in the because it is, I mean, it's just so stark and interesting. But France's
2: point as well, Joe, is he, he's whichever you could see last night was they didn't have a kicker that they're missing Andrew Pollard and yeah. that was a big factor. I mean, they left. 7 points at least mm. and they are more behind them well, be and, and some awful awful even even uh, touchline kicking.
1: Him and Bernard Jackman agree on that point because yeah. Bernard Jackman does make the point the next time this is going to be in a neutral venue they will have a goal kicker and they will have someone who can play the percentages at 10 so that will strengthen them. But I'm I'm curious Rory do you are you a, more in the Francis camp where you, he says this oh. was a match of low quality? No, and there were players out there who were so far out of their depth it was embarrassing. Or Bernard Jackman, who was saying the level of physicality, the cat and mouse was right at the highest level of the game. Like they're two.
0: I thought it was a very right high, at the end of this. I thought it was a very high quality game. I mean, Frano has a cut off Robert Balakun. Um, he has a history of going after Ulster wingers. It didn't, you know, it turned out pretty well for Tommy Bowe, who he gave zero out of ten in a player ratings at the start of his career. Um, look, Vilhena was, was a wrong call and was the worst player in the pitch and, and mm. arguably cost South Africa the game, having not having a goal kicker like when Larue came on in the second half. He made an awful difference. But just because Ireland neutralised South Africa doesn't make New- South Africa a bad team. I think the achievement of Ireland neutralising them all and the scrum mm. can't be. Dem- you can't just say, then turn around and say, oh, they're, they're, these are not good. Like, they are the world champions. Bas- it was basically the pack that won the World Cup. So I, I think that's very unfair on what Ireland achieved yesterday. Um, I suppose what you could say is that the the long the length of the first half the number of stoppages it wasn't as flowing as say the New Zealand test but that was never going to be that kind of game this was quality in a different way and um, this was Ireland finding ways to beat a team that can squeeze you and squeeze the life you know squeeze the life out of you until you've nothing left so I, I think the advances being quite unfair on them I think Bernard Ackland is closer to the mark and um, certainly my sense in the ground was that it was a high quality test match Albeit South Africa just found different ways to, to butcher opportunities in the second half. And yeah. Ireland, part, that was part of Ireland's defence and partly their own limitations because if they can't beat you up, they don't seem to be able to find a second way, whereas Ireland are finding different ways to beat teams. It's Clean funny, the, sorry.
2: Just, just on, the, on, the, on the brokenness of the play, if you like, and the physicality was, yeah. you know, and it's something Ollie Holt um, refers to today as well in relation to um, Owen Farrell. But um, Shane McGrath makes a good point. He, he said the. 57 minutes the first half was 57 minutes long like standard these just, days just shows you though doesn't it? like the yeah. level of physicality there was at one point there was was there four four people being treated at one point at yeah. the same time
0: yeah and, and there's length, there's lengthy tmo you know that they took a long look at that um colby incident before yeah. coming to a decision but also just these water breaks which nobody needs or wants yeah. it's all do to do with Razi erasmus and, and what happened in the 20, 21 lines tour but it's like they've come up with a terrible solution to a problem and yeah. um, that's just lengthy. yeah it's making the game harder harder to watch and then it's bringing in these kind of musical interludes in the stadium that have been such a feature this week um but oh. <laughs> again just don't work for me personally but it, it was uh it's still even though it was long and it was I, I found that i that was it was good enough to be compelling like it it it, it the good outweighed the bad, but there's still a lot for Ruby to, to to fix there. And this is the cosmetic stuff. This isn't going into the deeper stuff about concussion and subconcussive hits and all that stuff that's you know, that you watch that physicality and you're like, God, this is this safe,
1: you know? Well that was the question I was gonna ask. Given what we know about the game and the um, price that players are paying. And even around the game, we glorified the physicality. It was the talking point all week. When you watch it now, Clean, it does I, part I, of you fail I do, to yeah, get. Yeah,
2: no, I do. I cringe now, you yeah. know, I do and It's not thrilling,
1: it's more I do, I,
2: yeah, I do. Like I more and more, particularly the head stuff, and whether it's accidental or not, and even that contentious Spear, not spear tackle, not a spear tackle, yellow, red card, whatever it was. You know, you just, you do cringe just because of the f- pure size and speed that these people can travel at. Yeah. That's the thing, like the impact and and all the statistics. are, you know, the, uh, the statistics are very often it's the uh, tackler that's the one who gets the worst injuries. But Ollie Holt raises it as well, just in his you know general column today in the mail, and he's talking about um. You know, after Dylan Hartley's piece last week about worrying about dementia, that he said, you know, the news that Owen Farrell had been drafted back into the England team that plays Argentina today a fortnight after suffering what was described as a brutal knockout playing for Saracens like that. He's saying there's no protocols broken there, but. You know, that doesn't mean the guy, you know, is right to be playing at this stage. and he said, "How many similar injuries has the England captain suffered? I don't know, but I do know he's storing up trouble for himself." Now that's his obviously his opinion, but you do worry about you know this level. And it's funny um, the the captain of of uh, of the Athlone women's team playing today, Laurie. He um, was a former Clare footballer, and she's playing in the FAI Cup final today. But like I, I was talking to her during the week about her and just you know concussion that she suffered, and how bad she was and incredible she had. To, she went to a physiotherapist and I said how could you go to a physiotherapist for a concussion and she was saying it was literally making my eyes move left to right left to right you know spent three or four months had to sleep in darkened rooms all those things you know and it's happening in all sports but I just think rugby at the moment you do you do I just feel I don't you know before I used to you know there were in years back before we knew all this stuff you know you would you would love to see those physical hits now I kinda do wince when I see them and-
1: in some respects, the game at large was, as a spectacle was lucky because last night wasn't littered with head collisions.
0: One, no. one, I was yeah. just trying to no. think when he yeah. came off with yeah. HIA. It was
1: incredibly attritional and we saw uh, injuries but they, they weren't the injuries of players having to get HIAs oh, the, which yeah. it could easily have been. Three Ireland injuries. I
0: mean, Stuart McCluskey fell awkwardly on his wrist. Yeah. Conor Murray Pulled his calf yeah. as he went, th- or sorry, yeah, his groin, groin as he went through it. and um, tied fur rolled an ankle. So they're not deeply attritional injuries. So, no. I mean, these the, players the, the, were same. able to get through the 80 minutes without actually, you know, there was no collision injuries really, yes. but the, the toll, it's the toll that has taken on them. I mean, the fact that you're legally allowed to hit Sexton just after he's delivered a pass. And now Sexton brings that on, and what makes him great is the fact that he delays his pass so late just that he the commits man. the defender. Yeah. But they're, you know, some of those hits that he took were absolutely ferocious but they were within the laws of the game and they are I'm torn on it you know I, I can see the danger but I also relish the spectacle and that's that's the eternal you know you're doing a deal with the devil I suppose and that's what it is part of what makes the, 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 the test rugby in particular so enthralling Keenan, Keenan um, got
2: a bad hit at one stage and just hopped yeah. up. I mean, their resilience is extraordinary. And they're they're in an incredible well. condition.
0: It's just they, yeah. can't, they can't protect. You know, the, the one thing they can't protect is their brains, in And that's, s- well, in some that's ways the concern. I,
1: yeah, in some ways I thought, well, as that was as attritional as it gets yesterday. And yet it was quite positive that there weren't a bunch of head hits or high shots that maybe, well, Look, this game's always going to, I think, have an inevitable degree of danger and there's going to have to be informed consent with future generations. But I did watch yesterday and think, well, that couldn't have been more hotly contested, couldn't have been more physical, and yet we managed to avoid head hits. So that was
0: encouraging. I mean, teams are going to, like, we're we're just asking teams to, like, learn that you can't, like, by regulating it, by sending people off for it. And Ireland have had Peter Romani, Aki twice sent off for head high shots in the last couple of years. I mean, they cost him a game over in Wales a couple of years ago. It cost England the Six Nations game last year. I mean, teams have to learn and adjust. And I think Ireland and the Leinster... Like, Leinster have a contact skills coach in Sean O'Brien. Before him, Dennis Nemi did that job and Hugh Hogan. And he has put incredible effort into working with the, tackle, the tackler to make the tackler a, a better at going lower. And Josh van der Fleer is an unbelievable example of that. Will Connors, who's currently out injured, um, but he's a brilliant low tackler. Ireland's tackle technique is probably world-leading and they don't get themselves in those positions as often as other and teams. Sexton. And Sexton's I mean, they,
2: tackling has changed as it well. It
0: has, yeah. yeah, but they go lower, they tend not, because they know it's not necessarily about safety, it's about discipline and trying not to get sent off, because mm. you don't want to cost your team, and yeah. look at the summer when New Zealand had had players sent off for high-high shots in the in the, in the the test series, that they were really important moments, and they were just clumsy, um, you know, going into contact too high. That doesn't happen as much with Ireland, and in fairness, South Africa, they are massive men, but they're and and they don't get enough credit for this. They're technically excellent in a lot of what they do, and mm. um, and while they bring in an unbelievable level of force and and aggression to it, it's within the they bring, keep it within the bounds of and that's what makes them so effective and so good. And that's why I think you know France is quite unfair on them earlier on. You know, Rory
1: King cleaner says the hype machine will now go into overdrive, um, <laughs> but Johnny Sexton. Afterwards, and across the papers uh, on all the front pages, he's he's urging caution. We're building well, but we have to win trophies, triple crown pleasing, but it's about championships, Six Nations, Grand Slams, World Cups. We've done nothing really, so you can't compare this to Ireland teams that have won before. The other thing he did say, though, which jumped out to me, is on the front page here, the Sunday Independent. He said we probably didn't play our best rugby, but that's also a very pleasing thing because maybe a couple of years ago we would have crumbled. Or not shown the guts that we did there, so that was very pleasing.
2: Yeah, they, they, That's a big well,
1: admission, isn't it? A, a couple we, of years well, ago,
2: we wouldn't have shown the guts. Yeah, well, Sexton does that. Sometimes Sexton comes out with stuff and it kind of slides past you. What's that? His former really teammates going, it. what? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But he's like, what I what I think he's right about is that is that just. They stuck in, they stuck in, they stayed there, they stayed there, they stayed yeah. there, you know, and they and he made some very brave decisions himself as well. But they didn't, they didn't crumble. I, Roy Keane's piece, I think, is good as well because um, he just looks, he just talks about how they changed, how they played as well. So, you know, they had to combine a bit of both. They had to bish bash up, up the middle, yeah. but they put more width on it and they were willing to push them around and see. But it was just their ability to withstand what they did in the first half, even that early you know, just defending their line for so long. Like they there was 50 tackles about, in the first 15 yeah, it minutes. Was some 49ers. Yeah, some 49.
0: That was phase, um, yeah. Stand on their own line where South that Africa was, that was went brute force and in ignorance. So like they yeah. didn't. They were There was no tip on passes. There was no out the back. It was just carry, carry, carry. Actually, Peter to thought threw a little, a little tip on it that actually opened up Ireland a little bit. They won a penalty. They scored. They made a three all. But that it was, was only the, a
2: penalty. It was only a penalty. Yeah, that, exactly. was, that was. But that was.
0: It, I thought that's what I. That's where I had the fear was that this Was going to take a toll that, that they would take the legs from Ireland, but Ireland's fitness paid. The bench, the bench, the bench. you got to think, you know, Aki and Henshaw are Ireland's first choice 12s. McCluskey's only won six caps across seven years. Yeah. Um, he's playing well, you know, he's Ireland's third choice 12. He's playing well. He gets whipped off Jimmy with O'Brien's the injury. Jimmy O'Brien, 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 O'Brien comes on, he's never played for Ireland before. Yeah. He's yeah. playing a 13, he's not no a 13. Ringrose yeah. is playing a 12. They never missed a beat. Like that's, like, Ireland's depth was pretty much exposed on Friday night, you know, in that All Blacks A game. But they were still, the, the, the first team are adaptable and resilient enough to over, like other Irish teams would have folded in that, you know, weren't, weren't able to cope with that kind of adversity. You
2: know, and like Jameson Gibson Park just Gibson Park totally changed yeah, the pace yeah, of the game yeah. too when he came in. And, and, and you could see that South Africa were getting tired at that stage, yeah, you know. Yeah. They had put so much effort in and hadn't got the return and they were the ones then who mentally crumbled. I thought it was a really absorbing game, oh I yeah, have to say. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so to what extent does this then allay the fear or the accusation that Ireland can't handle big teams? Mostly,
0: largely. Well, they can. They can. They, they've shown now that they've, they've, they, like, look, they could play South Africa next Saturday and get beaten up. But I think any team could be beaten up by South Africa. But they've shown that they can handle them all. They've shown that even their bench, the much maligned, Finley Bialum comes on and, and does forty minutes, and I think mm. his, I think that, you know he deserves an awful lot of praise for how he performed. Rob Herring as well, even Keen Healy come on for the last 10, 15 minutes, and and like I mean, this, day, he's held together at this stage, and he's able to come on in a test match and, and hold his own. Um, I, I like I, France is the next big test of that, and England maybe at home as well. But France are up first in the Six Nations, and and, and France have a, a certain set of skills that again. Ireland will have to be clever to come up to to negate because they have a, another 130 odd kilo lock and a 130 odd kilo um, tight head prop and when they get them together and they mo- and you know it's quite hard to deal with and Ireland just don't have the, that cattle, mm-hmm. but they have shown a way that they've dealt with the box and that's that's the ultimate test in my book. So they've answered that question. They've shown a way that they can do it. I mean, doing it again is hard, but they they can draw on this now and, and I think the fear that we had. Is, is lessened by that? That gives Thanks. this can give them comfort. It's not the prob- I think the reason the hype train won't get over. I think I said this to you today. And um, the reason the hype train won't get go overboard is because of the draw and the fact that not only did they play South Africa in the pool, they played the a winner. The, well, either the winners or the losers of, of that opening game at next year's World Cup, New Zealand and France. And. Yeah. That is a 50-50 game. Even if Ireland get everything right on that day, they might not win because they're playing against two of the best teams in the world. France are probably, I think the world rankings probably it should be flipped. I think France are the best team in the world right now. Ireland are probably a close second. Yeah.
2: Um, I thought what Trimble and, and Rob Carney were saying to you yesterday was interesting as well in relation to the previous World Cup, the one that everything went went so badly wrong on, which was that they basically were admitting the boys thought we had the work done. Yeah. And yeah. So That that's thing still- about these guys just constantly are looking for ways to get better, you know, and that's always what you want.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I I do sense that if you take Ireland, South Africa, France, England, certainly, New Zealand, who else be in the mix? Australia. Yeah. I think there's a fair chance only Ireland, if all of those teams were given the choice, would want the World Cup on this month as opposed to next year. I think Every single other team. Mm -hmm. I think France would even look at it and say, you know what? Our age profile, another year, we're going to be better again. South Africa, better again. Mm -hmm. New Mm -hmm. Zealand, 100% better again. South Africa, they've blooded a lot of players this year. They'll be in great shape next year. England, desperate for a year to sort themselves out. New Zealand, the same. I think we're the only team. Sexton, a year older. Yeah. I think we're the only team. If you said, "Do you want the World Cup on now or in a year?" Absolutely, we're the yeah. only team that say now. Yeah, That's the, that, right. that doesn't mean we're peaking. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean we're we're sitting still and we're burying our
0: head in the sands. It's just circumstances, age. It is the age profile. Sexton is the big one. Yeah. The, the rest of the it's team, the age profile is pretty much perfect. I mean, Keane, Ealy, I think ideally they'd have a younger loose head prop who's who's chomping at his heels, and 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 they don't. I mean, Jeremy Lachman maybe, but we're, that's still he needs a season of really good work for Munster, and that. That you now he'll be a year older as well, and, and we'll have a, a lot more kind of hits under the on the shoulders and, and all of that as well. So um, yeah, you're probably right. I think France, like the one thing you worry about, with, well, not that I worry about France very much, but like the one thing I think France will worry about is that they'll find a way to combust, which again is a pretty national stereotype more than anything. So else. will we? But with Galtier, <laughs> oh, I mean, sorry, that's it's almost inevitable. It? <laughs> that's why we're not getting that's, carried that, away. We don't want to get burned by the, the, by the past, you know. Yeah. But Galtier is a is an interesting figure. Their their union is being like their key figures in their union are being investigated by the police and they're going to you know that there are things get going messy. on at French rugby yeah. that could get messy in the next year. I think they take it now as well. I mean the way they won against Australia last night with that pinot try, mm. um, okay. The they have going on. I think they take it as well. Okay. And, um, and, and the one thing to
2: say is, that's probably quite an old box team as well, relatively speaking. They're yeah. not. They you know there there wasn't anybody particularly. You know, there's anybody particularly young in that team last night that's the one thing I think about them I thought they tired a lot in that game and yeah. I just thought I was surprised at how they See, I know they got the late tries and that, but I just was surprised at how they seem to run out of steam
0: they have the players if they want to and I don't know if Erasmus and Nina Bar will do it they have the, 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 the well of players that they could completely revitalise yeah. their team in 12 months and I, I don't think they're going to do it they seem to be leaning into that team of 2019 mm, and maybe that's mm, a big mistake mm. whereas Eddie Jones has tried to I don't know what he's trying to do, really, but he's completely flipped it. They're uh, the great unknown, England, aren't they? Yeah, they sure. are. They could, you know. And the thing, the great point that he makes, and I think that most people make about the World Cup, is that while Ireland' model is designed to be able to peak for these international windows, everyone peaks for the World Cup. Everyone has a preseason, and that's where the playing field is level. So yes. all of these things negate getting overly excited right now. But I think what you have to do is. That was a great game yesterday mm. and a, a great occasion. We've just been started we've had two years star of great occasions and I think people are entitled to enjoy it. and I think the achievement of being the world champions in that way is, is worthy of 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 being credited absolutely it can't be diminished you know. No, I agree
2: and Joe just done yes. just when we are talking about rugby, I just thought that I, I quite liked Rick bald piece with yeah, with really Michael Checker today and people might like to have a look at that in the Sunday Times. Just, it's great. I'll yeah. come to
1: that actually um before we're done for sure because Michael Checkers had the week of weeks, but that's Ireland mm-hmm. and South Africa. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. Uh, Let's turn to Father Ted's Golden Cleric Award speech, (laughs) a.k.a. Martin O'Neill's book. (laughs) This is just going to be a score-settling exercise, I suspect. Um, So, front page O'Neill hits back at critic Keith Andrews. So his new book is out, Martin O'Neill extracts only times days like this. Uh, so he takes aim at Keith Andrews and you suspect it was noted by both Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill that Keith Andrews was critical of them as managers at times. So he says Stephen's lieutenant finds himself in a hotter seat in the dugout than the one he occupied in a TV studio when he was excoriating an excoriating critic of mine. He's finding out that winning football matches is much more difficult to execute on the field of play than fidgeting about with a remote control button. <laughs> Such pontification in the studio hasn't so far achieved the desired effect on the playing field. Luckily, he's getting plenty of opportunities to put things right. S-
2: said a man who's not, not that I was given any opportunities. Said a man who's not unknown to be in the studios a lot himself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Funny, I read the. Uh, I was using the tablet edition, and I I read the a- extract that was in the English edition first, which is about the winning the European Cup in Nottingham Forest, and it's quite good. It's quite interesting McClough and stuff. I was like, you know, O'Neill, you know, is, is kind of he's got such an interesting story. It's pity his Ireland days were you know ended in such an embittered way, and he became less and less impressive as it went on. And then I read the Irish stuff, and I said, "God, well, totally different people said, should know two Germany, Totally
2: different excerpts. Are they, they, they are, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're editions. ones
0: of like nostalgia filled you know, like really nice story about, you know, the first time they won the European Cup, he throws his medal on the table, and because he was a sub. and they wanted to get, and, and the, the, the the people can read it, and then he comes back two years later or a year later and wins it, and it means so much more to him. And Clough told me the great game, and how much that meant to him. And it's it's genuinely it's good, and <laughs> like the fact that he he wanted a, mo- a couple of months off after to beat Germany to gloat." I mean, come on, like, you're, you've achieved so much in the game and you're trying to score settle so with journalists and pundits. Um, he seems so wrapped up in that stuff. It's quite it's quite remarkable. It's
2: shocking, really, I mean, isn't it? Well, it's quite surprising. The
0: more I spend time around coaches and players, the more I, I understand that the, the lie that they don't read the media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they care true. deeply about what everyone says about them. Well, there's um, a telling
1: line that starts. This is the extract where he talks about Ireland. Six months after my departure from Sunderland, my phone rings. It's Dermot Desmond. Stop your moaning and come manage the Republic of Ireland. I think moaning might be the key word in that... Uh, Sentence, but I don't, like moping, moping, moping. Sorry, sorry. moping. Sorry. Well, <laughs> well, tomato, tomato.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: So, I mean, it's fine. It's it's not especially enlightening. It's it's fairly perfunctory. I meet Delaney. I tell him I want Roy Keane. I race over to stop him falling from his chair. Uh, he goes on to talk about, at the end of the meeting we travel over to see Dennis O'Brien who's financed Trabatoni's salary, will continue to oversee the new manager's wages. Unlike Jack Charlton's star-studded group, we do not have many players at the top echelons of the game. Robbie Keane coming to the end, Seamus Coleman an exception. And then it just goes into Match Report, yeah, a tentative start very, against it's Georgia. It's very play-by-play, Aidan McGeady pounces on a through ball from James McCarthy. We are in the lead. Within a minute of a defensive mix-up, Georgia equalised. Just then, draw looks likely. McGeady scores Wonder goal to secure three points. In our next game, Keane's hat-trick. Big win against Gibraltar yeah, there's no on it goes there's no, there's no insight and he talks about I pushed Sean O'Shea forward against Germany um, and he scores the goal and then he says apparently a draw hasn't satisfied every critic viewers back in Ireland get in touch with RTE to complain its coverage of the game tonight has been excessively negative I mean tune in for the previous 20 years man. <laughs> think viewers on RTE we're pretty accustomed to Samar I don't I don't think they were like, Well, this is beyond the pale now. I must ring RTE. I'd be amazed if they did. And then he goes on to say, The following morning I'm somewhat taken aback to hear that and he doesn't name I don't like name the Hot person. Holland. Yeah, but just name him.
2: Oh yeah, the ex-manager in the League of Ireland. ex-manager Shane Long's agent. And the ex-manager in the League of managers, Ireland, yeah, sorry, League of Ireland goes, seems to be said with yeah. a bit of vitriol as well. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's definitely it's, it's laced with something <laughs> there. Right, yeah. yeah, so it's this sorry,
1: person I don't yes. deem worthy of naming. The following morning I am somewhat taken aback to hear that an ex-manager in the <coughs> League of Ireland has claimed in a newspaper column that the player Players got me out of jail with their last minute equaliser. This individual is also a football agent. In fact, he's actually the agent for one of our players, Shane Long. I wonder if Cruz's agent, uh, Tony Cruz, is writing in a newspaper criticising... Jakub you
2: and you're wondering. I wonder is Jakub reading all these newspaper articles and taking such? Oh, he probably as well.
0: is. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm uh, sure he is. If, if you, I if, <laughs> don't know. I just. I, if I was, you
2: bought it just for some insights into, you know, or as a taster, you know, normally tasters in the books are. are yeah. But I have to say, there's it's nothing very, in This it's very. very it's very old pedestrian. school
0: football autobiography. Isn't very it? it's, yeah, it's very
2: pedestrian. Yeah. It's
0: my life and football stuff. It's no. There's no insight, and he's just settling scores. And even, not what, even like he says, you know, Roy, you know, Roy gave some tactical insight that I that I thought was interesting.
2: Well, what it was it? tell us what it? what is what
0: like what was roy he doing just, during all these weeks was, like exactly. why did, how did you beat these teams like well, how did you beat germany it's just oh, we beat germany and then it and threw, that Shane,
1: was, it drew, threw john o'shea forward that was
0: for the that was the ua game for wasn't all, it yeah no, so, but sorry well, that's, like, that's all, all mean, it is like, yeah. but i, mean, I, I, I Martin o'neill i think is a more interesting figure than this this lets on and maybe yeah. he obviously your ghost between him and his ghost he, he, the ghost can only get get what the player the man is or that the the subject is willing to give so he obviously wasn't willing to go beyond the perfunctory, and he just—he's out to score, set, settle scores. But he even makes the bloody tired old point about how Roy, Robbie Keane was getting a bit on, and we didn't have the players. Mm. Like, stuff we've
2: heard, stuff Irish supporters have heard for years and years. Yeah, just, cause that's what he said when he was here. Anyway, like you can exactly. say what you like with yeah, Stephen Kenny,
0: you'll never hear that line from him. You know. Well, like the he,
2: other thing is, it's just like, as I say, the extracts in the papers are usually the juiciest, and yeah. if this is the juiciest bit, or I don't know what else is going to be in the book, but it doesn't—it's not very attention-grabbing on the basis of this, and just a lot of. Just a lot of I just detect a lot of ego in it. You know, um, I was laughing. <laughs> he talks about um Talks about playing Scotland and Sean Maloney, to whom I gave a debut at Celtic over a decade ago, and whom I took to Villa Park. It's like he's <laughs> just yeah. it's constant thing, you know. Um, uh, you know, criticism of the Irish media is heavy, and I need to remind myself that we have lost only once in six competitive matches. You know, this just that kind of constant score. Self-justification,
0: settling. and yeah, just, yeah, you just want a bit. like I mean, obviously, there's the the second campaign is a little less successful and, and maybe the well, uh, there'll be more than that. But I, I wouldn't be holding my breath based but on what we're seeing here. It's just an, And then we lost. And then we took off all our midfielders against Denmark <laughs> and that didn't go so well.
1: But you know what though? It was actually, for all Stephen Kenny's critics, and they are out there for sure, and there are aspects which haven't been good, it was like re yourself in like a bad relationship and I just had flashbacks to him and Tony O'Donohue and just that ugh yeah. Yeah. which is just unbecoming of a representative of the Irish team and like he's had such a great career and so admirable in so many ways and an intelligent man but there was that that negativity and that sense of ego that was very unappealing and it's coming through in, and
0: and I wonder I, I, like I don't know who goes to the book and I don't know um, I presume it's probably being pitched at Celtic fans Leicester sure. fans and Um, Nottingham Forest fans rather than the Irish market so maybe this is not the important chapter in it, maybe the the glory days of Celtic is where he leans in and he kind of tells everyone how great he was in that time and what he achieved at that time was um, sensational and the game, I think, had passed him by by the time he got the Ireland job. And what qualifying for France and what happened over there is, is was a great achievement and a great moment in Irish sport. That Robbie Brady goal was, I watched it in Port Elizabeth and it was the first time I connected with the Irish team in yeah. a long time. It was a great moment. Now it was fleeting and the players that he had brought through never really kicked on and now we're, you know, we're having to rebuild the entire team after it. But I wonder if whoever's written the book just wasn't that interested in Ireland They didn't know what questions to ask or or didn't care enough to ask the questions. I mean, are we going to get the, the ins and outs of why Deck and Rice ended up um, going the other way? Are we going to get the full behind-the-scenes story of the the Roy Keane, the Stephen Ward, his version of the Stephen Ward voice, uh, voice note? I mean, that's the stuff that you'd like to know, but I mean, yeah, as I say earlier, I wouldn't be holding my breath. I think we're going to get more stories about how great he was at Celtic. And, and look, that's, it's, it's his book, I suppose. It's his yeah. prerogative. But yeah, he doesn't come away from that extract looking particularly great.
1: Or like that he enjoyed it or had a great fondness for the, the time in charge. Uh, so Qatar is looming and it's across the papers in various guises. For instance, I mean, and, and in all sorts of ways. So back page of The Sunday Times, for instance, and we'll play the clip here because I think it's it's done the rounds, but on the off chance you haven't seen it. So, uh, Dave Walsh, Neville is made to squirm after a tough question about punditry working in Qatar. So Dave Walsh here in the back page of Sunday Times says, it's a rare thing to sit in front of the TV and see Gary Neville and feel sympathy and just talks about how accomplished Neville is. But he presented a I Got News For You this week and I, I, I haven't seen the full episode, but the clip which has really gone viral is Ian Hislop in particular holding Neville to account over the fact that he is uh, working for B in sports and uh, Neville gives the justification, as you'll hear, that he he generally gives, and that usually does the trick, you know, if he's asked about this in most instances and he he gives the explanation that you're about to hear, that generally is the end of the discussion. But Ian Hislop disagreed that there were only two options. Have a listen.
0: But you know David Beckham, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, he's going, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. How much has he been paid? I don't know. You do know. (laughs) More than me. Yeah. (laughs) Ian, is it coming home?
2: What, your reputation? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The others have been very gentle with you, Gary, but (laughs) I mean... Thanks, Ian. The elephant in the room is still there. I mean, you're you're
0: commentating there, aren't you? Yeah, I am commentating there. And what's the defence, football term? I'm commentating there. (laughs) Well... You've got a choice, I think, haven't you? What, going or not going? Well, (laughs) My view always has been that you either highlight the issues and challenges in these countries and speak about them, or you basically don't say anything, you stay back home and don't go. And I've always said we should challenge them. There's another option, you stay at
2: home and highlight the abuses. You don't have to go and take the Qataris' money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to be tartan, but, I mean, it's just... It's not a very good defence.
1: And how, how, how is someone like Robbie or the Black Eyed Peas supposed to highlight it? Are they going to make a speech on the stage? Mm-hmm. Of course but they're you not. Can, you can
0: highlight it. What, during a match?
1: Well,
2: highlight and it during the commentary. it's
0: uh, the kick-off here in this appalling country's <laughs> human rights record.
2: And honestly, I think, oh, someone's kicking a ball. But honestly, the, the amount of immigrant workers who died, it's a shocker. Oh, it's a goal! <laughs> the Sunday Papers
1: on Off The Ball. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. And as Dave Walsh says, suddenly you realise that far from the Sky Sports studio, Neville was in a very uncomfortable place. Hislop wasn't buying what Red Nev was selling. Neville would not have accepted the be-in sport role unless he was being well rewarded. Challenged by Have I Got News For You's panellists, he didn't have much of an answer. I felt sorry for him and that was a first.
2: I didn't feel sorry for him at all because the the reason he's doing Have I Got News for You is also presumably because he's very well paid for it. Mm. And you either go into those things prepared or you don't. You know, and it just shows you like they've got very sharp, actually. on have I got news for you recently? I don't know. Maybe it's a political situation in England. They they were a bit stale, I thought, for a few years. But now they've got very sharp again and you don't go on there without thinking that you're going to have to answer some hard questions and particularly if you're a presenter. So I just just thought, you know, wrong call, Neville, and, I, and you know. I think
1: uh, perhaps his stock answer is you have two options. Yeah, you Has worked in the past.
2: <laughs> he felt well. It's th- not going to work in a room with brains like that. No, they, I mean they saw straight through. Like <laughs>
0: yeah. you, your logic is just. I actually yeah. watched he it. In the sky. For it, yeah. Randomly watched a clip on on Twitter this morning of being his Hislop like, being interviewed by. Um, a London Times podcast, and he said hypocrisy, hypocrisy is what drives him. So he he mm-hmm. lives when he's doing private eye. You know he edits, edits private eye. What he looks for is hypocrisy. I mean, it's the ultimate like Neville's political stances that he's taken over the years. His his vis, visceral condemnation of the Super League is so jarring when you see him walking around Doha with David Beckham for the overlap, and you know they don't go near any of the big issues. You no. know, um, like Beckham's like Beckham's trying to do. To have it both ways, and, and Neville's doing it to a lesser extent. I don't think he's getting the same kind of money as Beckham is, as, as he almost points out himself. But um, <laughs> like Beckham's also trying to do it. Isn't there a Disney Plus documentary that's just come yes. out of, of Beckham trying to, you know, raise up a, a third division team in the South London leagues at under thirteen level, and he's where he used to play. Yeah, used to exactly play. Like and to it's, it's, f- it's all—it's massage. That's trying to—he's you know, trying to get, to get the money on You're one, one hand, and also the massage a Be frank about it. He is hard to
1: stomach right now, David. Beckham He really is. Like, how much money does a man need? Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. and he really wants
0: money. but begets money. Like, there is know that you know that it's like yeah what, what the LP fin line you know you try some time you know you gotta if you want to run three houses in different parts of the world you gotta you gotta keep the, the income coming in look Neville you know Neville left himself wide open I mean he made a choice to go on a by the nice view that was like how it's he didn't see this steps. coming you know the, yeah I mean, that's
2: my point and
0: that stock answer so weak it's so literally like is he really gonna go and be in sport and criticize the regime
1: he's now under a fair degree of pressure to deliver some of that criticism on being sports, I would say.
2: Well, particularly, yeah. Now this thing's blown up. He has. Yeah, it really
1: has blown up. Properly viral. I because I think um, you know certain things stick with people. Mm. Like you see Richard Keyes tweet anything and look at the replies. There are one or two stock things that just stick and forever follow him around. I will two, three, four years time. Gary Neville could have been thrown at him in those replies as one of these things that just. Tarnishes what you'd have to say is an extraordinary reputation mm. as like one of the great voices in punditry and uh, has spoken brilliantly on lots of
0: and it's clearly intelligent, subjects. clearly intelligent, and That's clearly able to tackle issues beyond football and is clearly able to interrogate them in his own mind. But you wonder with someone like Gary Neville as how much is he challenged by other people in his life or in Sky and how powerful is he in there? He's obviously he's he is uh, a meal ticket in the Sky. You know he, his yeah. podcast is successful. He's a great. Broadcaster, he's made himself into a great pundit, but you know, is he too powerful in there that no one would say to him? I don't think this is a good it's idea.
1: Uh, I would say not at all, and based on him, he gave his answer with such confidence. Yeah, like he almost was like, "Oh well, actually, I've always thought, you know, as in you've got this option or that option." There was a real sense of this is the correct this is, answer. This yeah. is, and he didn't the,
2: my pers- my pat answer, and he exactly, kind of yeah. finished
1: with like nervous giggle of
0: oh. There is a third option. Yeah. These <laughs> people, and these people aren't just going to move well, on to the next topic. because it's like
2: this not the, yeah, because you see, you know, as as much as we talk about sports being political, uh, so much of sports broadcasting, particularly TV broadcasting, is very light on this end. And people aren't challenged on this yeah. kind of stuff. But this was, in my opinion, like whoever advised him to take that job and do it, um, he, he just didn't make a good judgment on it. And that's where you just got to be smart enough. And as you say, sometimes you need... More no men or no women in your corner.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be like this whole. It's only two weeks away. I can't believe it. It's only two weeks away. I've I've, I've ignored the build up. I, I I mean I love World Cups. There's I, been I, none. There's, there's been none. Well, I've seen the articles. I oh, just haven't really? cl- I haven't clicked on them or, or yeah, opened them. I've no. I, the only ones I've read are about Qatar. and How awful it is. Um, personally, that's. I mean, I'm pretty consumed by rugby at the moment, but. Um, it's the, I think there's four Irish writers going over, like they're all, I know they're all like basically reading literature, you know, UNHCR reports, you know, they're not reading mm. team previews and match, but you know, they're they're delving into human rights issues because they are going to, they are all know that there's a balance to be struck between f- writing about football and reporting what's gone on over there over the last couple of years about, you know, highlighting LGBTQ. LGBTQ. Issues, and I mean, Ollie Holt's got, is it Olly Holt? He has yeah. a, the Holmes, open letter. Tommy, but, I mean, has a it was a great well, story in the piece? London Times during the week where the, about the, the, the fans being paid to oh, spy on fellow oh. plans, uh, fans. And the, a member of the England band is, is one of these fans who's been, is basically a paid member of of the Qatari government who's there to promote Qatar and engage on social media. So if anyone criticises it, he's been paid to go on and, and, and you go, oh, no, it's actually a great spot. And like this kind of dystopian yeah. stuff is is just horrific, you know, it's, it, it, the World Cup shouldn't be there. We all know it shouldn't be there. We all still can't believe, I think, that it's going It's going to happen in November, December in a in a country that just is too small to have it, for, that has it for all the wrong reasons. Um, and yet here we are and it's presenting an incredible challenge for, for everyone. I mean, Tommy, everyone covers it.
1: Tommy Conlon's piece uh, details the upcoming documentary yeah. on Netflix, Netflix. Yeah. and part of that is, uh, w- well, initially um, a woman who worked with the Qatari bids team has turned whistleblower and uh, talked about the uh, corruption in securing the bid. In a perverse way, I was reading that and I was thinking I'm not even that upset about the corruption and winning the bid. That's like, I, I, oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm i allowing for that. Yes. That's just the real world. It's yeah, uh, no. I'm less scandalised by that as opposed to uh, the wrongs of uh, well, how else did the, they the
0: migrant workers. How else did the petrol state End up at the World Cup. I mean, that's yeah. the, you know, obviously you have to expose because it, but that's not know. the yeah. Yeah, it's,
2: yeah. And the, it's out on it's out on Wednesday that new that yeah. new Netflix one. So that will well. gather pace. And yeah, then and there's been books as well about FIFA corruption. So we've we've read the stuff before, but I think I think the letter that the ambassador sent out this week was the one that really made people. And that admission, as Ori was saying, that they have paid fans from several countries to come over and do positive social media, I mean seriously. And there's fans
0: in a section of the stadium, who like the camera will go on at some point yeah. during, the f- during a half, and they will all have to stand up and sing a song, right. that is, and I think it's Ali <laughs> it says um, where is it, as for the songs that England fans group have been requested to sing I am curious to know whether the desired repertoire includes our recent favourites such as Southgate Out the special No Surrender version of our national anthem, and the old staple 10 German Bombers, <laughs> which uh, I presume is not on the on the the list of songs, but you know it's just so clinical yeah. and cynical, and it leaves you so cold. And I think, like, if Messi goes and wins the World Cup with Argentina, and there are great games, I think we'll all watch, but we all know what we're watching as well. Yeah. And and it's I
1: think an hour after the final, we'll all just look back on the thing and think, I think awful. Yeah. Uh, The the concept of the Oli Holt piece, by the way, it's for people who haven't read read the piece clearly. It's an open letter because FIFA this week wrote to the 32 participating nations and asked them, please, let's focus on the football. (laughs) We beg you, uh, they said, basically. And so Olly Holt says, dear President and Secretary General, and he just eviscerates them in a million different ways. It has just to give you a sense of the tone. Uh, I applaud you most sincerely for writing a letter to try to neuter opposition rather than cutting your critics up with a bone saw, a tactic which, as you know, has found favour with one of your club owners in the Premier League, which, yeah, that's not even World Cup related, but it's that kind of a tone all the way through. He talks about how uh, you ask that football not be dragged into every ideological or political battle that exists, but it was FIFA who dragged football into this battle and it was FIFA who dragged the rest of us into it as well. And he says, telling journalists to stay at home if they do not agree with the the tournament being staging guitars, just another strand of the growing attempt to silence reporting on issues some people would rather were ignored. Uh, While you're sitting at your keyboards, by the way, maybe you should uh, both write a letter to whoever it is is paying that supporters group, including 40 fans from England, to attend the tournament with instructions to deliver positive messages about the experience, sing certain songs uh, when requested and report critical social media posts. Uh, So...
2: I just—he you know. makes a point as well that that letter was just such a it's PR discra- mistake because it's done the very opposite of what it was intended. What did they to do? think like that, that letter was going to do? Well, this can you imagine the meeting though?
1: Let's write them a letter to tell them just concentrate on the football. Don't get out. Great idea. Don't
2: yeah.
1: get out. No yeah. so one. Like that.
2: But, but, it, but, yeah, it te- but doesn't it tell you something about the state of mind of those people who are in control Deluded. of that? Colour? Yeah. Yes, but also that they're, they're in that to position of control that they can tell people what to think and mm. feel. Mm. That's basically what they're trying to do. Did they think and the Australian
1: players would read the letter and
0: say, "Oh, let's not do the video, let's retract the video"?
2: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. i be very interested to see because it's such a, it's such a high point in your career, and you may only get to one World Cup. So you sure. and you, I'm sure all of the players going are, are pretty much foc- are, are focused on trying to do as, be- as well as they can. But will any player step outside the lines, and what will happen to them if they do? Like do FIFA. FIFA are in such a bind, if someone, you know, I don't know, takes the knee or wears an armband ar- 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 or takes off his jersey and, and you know, has a, has a message, a, a pro-gay message or a, a pro-worker message or even a end o- you know stop-oil message, because, you know, one thing that doesn't get highlighted is, you know, oil-rich <laughs> states are, like, you know, basically killing the planet as well, you know, as, as well as all the other horrible things that they do. Um, what do FIFA do? Do they ban that player for the next game? Do they issue him a massive fine? Or, you know, like... Everything is—it's going, going to look so. The optics across the board are so bad as uh, f- from a starting point, and um, there will be storylines like that across across the whole tournament. And
2: Rob, Rob, uh, B- Rob Draper has a piece in the, just a small piece as well, saying that the England and nine other European nations that are wearing the One Love armbands that they're expected to make some sort of a reply this week to Infantina's letter, but we don't know what that'll be. Um, but yeah, look, we're all conflicted. Let's face it. You, you, you're looking at a gun. Should I be watching it? You know, uh, how are we going to respond to it? Mm. Or, as Ali Holt says about Newcastle, or do you know things start suddenly, good games, and suddenly everybody forgets about it? You know, mm. it, it's it's the big quandary in sport at the moment, which is. A lot of the money that's coming into sport is coming from places that ne- some of the, Well, not all, not all, but some money coming into sport is from places where, you know, do not have particularly desirable regimes. And there's there's a piece in some of you saw this one. The piece of the Irish Mail on Sunday about Fulham. Um, dropping a sponsor, a company, uh, uh, Titan Capital Markets, and they dramatically have dropped them after the sports mail found the firm guaranteed huge, prob- improbable financial reports. But they, 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 they actually did a study of this company that, that were sponsoring Fulham and discovered that their, their, their video, which has all these people videoed who are, you know, uh, data engineer, data analysts, chief technology officers, they're all actors and models. They don't exist.
1: Mm. There's been a surprising amount of very odd Premier League sponsorship deals with rogue companies almost. There's a Wild West aspect to what's going on.
0: Jossimer have done a couple of really interesting, lengthy pieces, very dense pieces um, about it. And yeah, a lot of money washing around that world. Not not I'm accusing any one football club of being money launderers, but there is money coming into that world. I mean, I think some of the suggestion is that some of the big um, state-owned clubs are basically finding new ways of creating sponsors to get money in to get around financial fair play. But there does seem to be also just dark money going into the Premier League from all sorts of quarters, and yeah. it's uh, it's yeah, it's very bizarre. Like
2: it's good to see it exposed and it's good to see it being questioned. But it is it is interesting. Isn't you look
0: it? at the sponsors at games, and I know it's a global sport now. but like, I don't recognise I mean, it. used to be you know Draper Tools and, <laughs> and, and, and people people like that, and said Hampton Jersey, and it's just you know. No one, no one knows half the brands they're there. You know? Yeah, you have Google, I have to Google to
2: go and say who are they. Yeah, yeah
0: and like, I know money is at a point now where companies just need like you're losing money if you're sitting on it, so you just basically have to get your money into like sponsoring. Sponsorship is a good way of getting your money out there for for legitimate companies who want to want to do that, and, and that's one of the reasons they do. It. But there's some brands you're just like I don't know what their yeah. what their thought process is behind this.
1: The Sunday papers on off the ball. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball There is a great interview. You both picked it out with Andrei Shevchenko with David Walsh, page 1617 of the Sunday Times and I mean, it starts off, uh, Andrei Shevchenko has a very nice life for himself. Uh, footballing legend, Ballon d'Or winner, 2004. So they meet at Wentworth Golf Club, which is uh, as prestigious as golf clubs get in London, uh, near into West London, where Shevchenko now lives, beautiful part of the world. Uh, near the entrance, he bumps into Harry Kane. I don't know about you, I don't bump into Harry Kane at my <laughs> golf course. Uh, well done last night, he says, the Spurs a Spurs last minute win. You don't want to see how bad we were in the first half, Kane uh, whispers back and... He notes, uh, Dave Walsh notes, after Gary Lineker, Shevchenko became the second professional footballer to be accepted as a member of the nearby Sunningdale uh, Golf Club. So he lives in London and he's lived in London for 16 years, Shevchenko. He's married to an American, he speaks Italian, four children. Life is very good. And of course, uh, then the war in Ukraine happens. And he reflects on his childhood uh, briefly, because I guess he was of an age where things were changing rapidly was at a football tournament in Moscow as a 14-year-old in 1991. When we left Moscow, we were part of the USSR. When we arrived home in Kiev, we were part of the Ukraine. Everything changed so quickly. When we arrived at the train station, Ukrainian flags were everywhere, people celebrating. At the time, I didn't really understand that you're 14 years old, but between Moscow and Kiev, we always uh, knew there was a difference. And he says, we'd been living in a false reality of unity. And now there was something I'd never known, freedom. And he remembered shortly after Ukraine independence an in under 16 game against Holland 30,000 fans turned up uh, that evening everything clicked playing for Ukraine felt more important than anything else and uh, he remembers the Ukraine-Russia qualifiers uh, for the European championships in 2000 for Euro 2000 Ukraine won 3-2 in Kyiv they drew one all at uh, the Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow both games huge because of the rivalry when we went to Moscow it was considered unsafe for us to be in a hotel we slept at the Ukrainian embassy I suppose the harrowing uh, aspect is when he talks about, well, his mother and uh, his sister and they didn't want to leave at first and they slept in corridors in their apartments, so they had two walls between them and the point where the rocket might strike uh, close by were always uh, ready packed suitcases. His mother's health deteriorated rapidly. And in the end, they just said, you have to get out. And so they managed to get out and get to um, Italy. But he has been uh, as haunted and distraught as I suppose any Ukrainian uh, looking um, on, he's visited the photo five of times. this
2: really, really good photo. Of him. Yeah. I just think the photo, of his face is really looks really arid. And he's visited distraught. the country five he, times. Well, not only that, but he's actually gone back and he's working. He he, he went back and he met Zelensky, and, yeah. and he's working for this Unite Twenty Four, which is a fundraising platform to rebuild Ukraine. And now, equality. when well, we're talking about this is you know we're talking about you know sports journalism not asking hard questions. Somebody of David Walsh's quality, you expect him to ask the hard question and he does. And he may have done it very late in the interview as we often try and do. <laughs> which just like you but he does the end of it finishes with him. He does ask him about his relationship with Abramovich Mm. and he says during his Chelsea years, uh, 2006 or nine, he was sometimes seen in Roman Obama's box. They were friends. I ask if he's had recent contact with the club's former owner. I haven't spoken with them since the war started, but I've been reading he's been doing a lot for the peace efforts. Um, which is, you know, always has been there in the background and nobody knows exactly what that situation is. My position is clear. I ask myself, what are you going to do? I decide I'm going to stand up for my country. I'm going to help my country because that's the right thing to do. This is our land. This is our future. I just think, like, I'm amazed at the lack of coverage in sport about Ukrainians. You know, we had European championships in athletics during the summer, Ukrainians winning medals. And actually, there was very little coverage of how are they doing it? Um, the, the Dublin City Marathon last week, Rory ran it. Um, there was a lovely scene afterwards. I, went, I, went, I was inside in the mix zone and there was a Ukrainian woman run, run, running it who actually hadn't had won it twice before, a veteran, and uh, she was having a picture taken with Courtney McGuire, the young Tom uh, Elgar who just won it uh, with the Ukrainian flag. And she actually said to me, I wasn't fit. The Ukrainian woman said, I wasn't fit coming here. I ran it for peace. And we're not, I don't think we're not talking to people enough or asking people, uh, Ukrainian athletes enough, about how how do you keep doing this and, and what are the, your circumstances? And, you know, it, it's become very easy to forget that that war is continuing. And I think that sport is one place that you can highlight it. Yeah. I interviewed a, a woman in. Um, in City West recently whose daughter is a young uh, 14 year old who's who's literally going across town to play volleyball because when she when they arrived as refugees, they were based in at Dublin Airport in a hotel there and then they got moved overnight and this kid is really good volleyball player and played at home. But her mother said uh, she was looking at my hair and we were laughing before we started chatting and uh, and, uh, I said yours is nice as well. And she and she had a a lovely woman who was helping them in Ireland with her and she said her hair had turned grey. She had to put dye in it. She said, "My hair is turned grey since the war." It's very, she was it's a, a, a young woman.
0: Very striking that the 2000 game. Like I mean, we're, I'm, yeah. most of us, I think, were oblivious of the tension. I think mean, you know, we kind of followed these things from afar. Berlin Wall comes down. You know, these countries become independent, and we sometimes play football against them. But the fact that they they, they had to go to stay in the embassy 20 22 years before yeah. the outbreak of war, the tensions were that high. And just when we were talking about Qatar earlier, I, my mind went back to four years ago when you know, basically FIFA and the world legitimized Putin's regime by having a World Cup in, in, in Putin's Russia and you know, Conor McGregor was in corporate box with him before the game and Infantino was you know, glad-handing around and, and like a lot of my colleagues who were there had a great time and I'm like, gee, Russia, Russia's not so bad, you know, because they put on a good show for the four or five weeks that it was on and it's, that's sports-washing of a difference, maybe, sorry, it's it's a different version of sports-washing or maybe it's the same thing, it's it's, uh, but, you know, it's four years ago, Russia was the center of the universe for a very different reason and, and Funny, Shevchenko says this war
1: didn't start eight months ago. It started with the invasion of Crimea eight years ago. If you let the bully take some piece of what he wants, he's going to come back for more. That was the big mistake everybody made. We let the bully take what he wanted. I I often wonder, you know, having not lived through, for instance, World War Two, like, say here, where we weren't directly involved, was everybody consumed with this at every moment? And now increasingly, I feel having seen the way we're so not consumed with yeah. the war in Ukraine. Yeah. They, no, they weren't. Well, no, we were not were
2: at the start. I talked to my granny way.
0: about it. My granny that, um, passed away this year, but she, she lived through the war and she was actually in England at the outbreak of war and her mother went and got the three kids and brought them home. They'd been sent over for a better life and she went and got them and brought them home and, and she said all, we, all they thought about was food because the... Mm-hmm. Not all, but the the war was so far away. But yeah. the food shortages were real, so I think that's where people were were consumed. But I, I read I read a book about German spies. I can't remember the guy's name it wrote it, but German spies in Ireland during the war. And like our life was going on relatively nor- normally. I think there was you know at government level there was concerns, and there was you know lots of things going on. Like you know you would have people landing in the dark of night. But really, I think normal life went on as as relatively normal, although they didn't have access to the same level of food that they would so have had. Yeah. is
2: interesting, though, Joe, because yeah. and, and it's indicative really of the complications, of this thing, because he says both of his grandparents fought for Russia yeah. in the Second World War. Yeah, yeah, and uh, even it's it's the it's the nuances of it that are so difficult for people because I was really struck when I was interviewing that woman and her daughter. The daughter settled in this particular volleyball club in Santry, which is a really, really successful volleyball club in Ireland. Um, Because the assistant coach is Russian and speaks Russian and she speaks Russian in Ukraine. And there's a connection, a human connection, and it's nothing to do with politics or war. But it is fascinating to see. You know, I just feel we've, you know, I feel we're all just getting on with our lives now. And I I am I am amazed at how, as I said, Ukrainian athletes in lots of sports um, and and that woman actually, uh, the PR um, information had been that she was living in Austria, the moment we came over for the Dublin Marathon. But actually, she told me she was living in Kajistan and has been living in Kajistan since the war. Yeah. And that's what she's been training. And she hasn't been home since.
1: But it's it's amazing how it's just completely fallen off the news agenda yeah. in daily life. I'm not talking about it, yeah. nearly half Shaka. enough with people. I find you are more likely to find uh, middle class people who can afford their petrol given out about the price of petrol on the media than
0: Talking about the debts. yeah, or Tory nature, Party, nature Tory life, Party for yeah. a few weeks. I mean, it, yeah. the news cycle—it's just human that's nature. The, it is, near, yes, and there's only so nature. much because I mean, at the time, at the to time, I tuned into yeah. BBC News every night, and you know, Clive Moray was over there, and it was like it was enthralling. But over time, war, war becomes drudgery. You know, it becomes small gains on on a certain front, and it's very hard to place it because you don't really know the country that well and. You kind of hear the odd time. You know, I, I follow. I've, I've Ukraine. Gavin Sheridan curates a Ukraine list on Twitter, which I have on my Twitter, and I and I used to go into it quite frequently. And less, I do it less and less now. And I go in now, and I'm like, I'm not really sure what's going on here anymore. And some outlets like the New York Times and Guardian still leave with it every day. It's mm, still very, very centre, but I think everywhere else has kind of moved on to them. Like because the price, the cost of living crisis, which is linked inextricably to Ukraine, is important in people's day-to-day lives, and and. There is only so much. Um, I think people have a tolerance for, and when it comes oh to yeah, that level sure. of bad news and and um, misery, me included. Like, like there's no. Yeah, um, yeah and I was and I was
2: interested in in the yeah. element in in that side of it, in that you know, with sport helping people here, you know, help helping refugees in Ireland. You know, what effect had it yeah, had on their it, yeah. lives? And and Irish volleyball actually is was one of the first. It was the first sport, one of the first sports I think to to say, we'll give you free membership, we'll give you free gear, you can keep playing. And it's proved a lifeline to this particular kid who gets the Lewis from City West into town and then gets a bus out to training. And that's what that kid is prepared to do. And she's studying here for her junior cert and she studies at night online in Ukraine for her junior cert because it's her junior cert year in Ukraine and she wants to get it as well. Amazing I mean, if people you, do. If
1: you told her that a year ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. imagine.
1: An amazing interview with Christy O'Connor and Westmead footballer Luke Lachlan in the Sunday Times. So Luke Lachlan is playing in today's Leinster club quarter final. He was part of the Westmead team that didn't or that sorry that won the Tolchin Cup in July. He didn't go on the team holiday uh, for very good reason. So Christy O'Connor writes Lachlan has had to construct a psychological firewall to prevent him from returning to that dark world he has spent so many years being guided by the demons in his mind that he knows how drink can always forge an opening and make a renewed offer and how easy alcohol, drugs and addiction be, can be, uh, can become his refuge again. So uh, Luke Loughlin here is just so open. A few pints was never drinking for me. Being drunk for six or seven days, that was drinking. If I take one drink, I just fast forward five hours in my mind and think where I could be and I know exactly where I'll be. I'll be taking drugs out of my head, not caring about anyone or anything. So he talks about, you know, he, he's... Um, been a player in and out of the Westmead side for a long time. Everyone knew I had talent, but everyone also knew I was a heffing, an effing headbanger, uh, which is uh, sums it up neatly, I suppose. And he was in the panel as a 19 year old uh, and he's just had issues right the way through his 20s um, with alcohol, with gambling, with drugs, a feeling of worthlessness. Um, never knew his father. He had issues with abandonment and rejection ignored a whole set of other problems around self-esteem and body image. It combusted into a desire for self-destruction. He would have depressive episodes as well, where he talks about staying in his bed for 10 days on end, not washing, not brushing his teeth, uh, feeling awful. And uh, what seems to have culminated in in him getting the help he needed uh, in July of 2021, and he's been sober since then, was his mother... I had texted him and she said she couldn't do it anymore. My mother said she hadn't slept in 10 years because of me. She said the only time she slept was was, was when I was in a depressive state in bed because she knew where I was and I knew it was time to get help. And he has um, an extraordinary line. I, I I suspect it's one of those lines you hear in therapy, but it really um, uh, kind of beautifully uh, put. He talks about getting drunk and his problems would only get worse. Then he said, a drunk mind speaks a, a sober heart. A drunk mind speaks a sober heart. When everyone was thinking I was having a great time, I was dying inside. I couldn't face a hangover. I had to keep going. I had to keep out of my mind. I couldn't stay sober because I was in so much pain. But I got to a stage where I couldn't hide it anymore. So uh, last drink in July of 2021 and a year later wins the Tolstian Cup at Westmead, and seems to be in a great place and Leinster quarterfinal today. Uh, you first mentioned that one to us, cleaner and yep. I hadn't heard a Luke Loughlin, uh or a story. You read that, you think, oh my God, wow. Yeah,
2: um, really, really well written by Christy O'Connor and really well told by Luke Lockton. And it, I was saying to Roy, um, I was talking to Jack Cooney two weeks ago. At, um, I was working at the Championship 15, which is the, the GA All-Stars for the second tier yeah. lower tier teams. Um, and they gave them a brilliant night, deservedly so, in Crow Park. And um, I, I ended up talking to Jack Cooney at the end of the night, just chatting off the record. And and I said to him, was, I was really struck by the Westmead players that night. They were just incredibly united. They were incredibly nice. They were they were all lovely. But I just thought these guys are like, bro, like they, there's a real brotherhood there. And just just having said to him, like, what an amazing achievement. And he's not managing them anymore, of course. So he's moved on and he's working in Crow Park now. he's working in coaching and he's obsessed with coaching and people. That's what his big thing is. Mm. And I said to him, God, what a year, you know, what was the biggest thing? And he said, Luke Lachlan, which I thought was really interesting. And he said that we got that guy, that he's safe and that he said the rest of the team had really taken care of him, which was a brilliant just just really, really great insight into him as a coach and into the rest of them. And then this is this is it from his point of view. And he ended up going down to Cunwera, which uh, anybody who knows anybody who's had alcohol problems, uh, it's one of the one of the main um, addiction recovery centers in Ireland, a tough place to be from all accounts that you read and hear. um, And that's really Finally, what helped, but obviously football helped hugely as well. Um, there's an amazing, <laughs> this is an amazing line that um, Coney got him back into Westmead in 2019, and um, he walked off during his first trading session, Cooney dropped him twice during the league. But Lachlan started the Division three final. And that's like what that's what I got from Jack was just like he kept pressing this guy because he just knew he could he knew this guy was a good guy. He just he just, you know, really felt he wanted to turn him around and how the rest of the players had helped him. But he said um, uh, they he hadn't drunk in two months, but a week before the championship, Lachlan went out to watch the Champions League final and the switch flicked. Carnage was an inevitable by, byproduct and he decided to have a house party, right? and the selectors arrived at the apartment the next morning and i was inside dancing with a cigarette and a can in my westmead gear mm-hmm. you know and that shows like for somebody who's in the throes of addiction how easily that switch can flick you know it's just uh, incredible
0: he was westmead's top scorer against the dubs yeah. after on the back of an eight day bender which
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: just shows he was able to yeah. you know for a time have it both ways, but it caught up, and, when, and like I think in a previous year we might been in here twenty years ago doing a similar slot, and that'd be kind of a legendary story that he was telling, you know, more for himself than against himself. You know, it's it's. Uh Maybe that's a, a good sign of how things have, uh, uh, you know, th- things have changed, and he's able to uh, uh, see, see his problems. But I mean, the openness with which he's yeah. able to do it—it's an incredible piece of work.
2: Yeah, amazing.
0: He, he never did an S and C session yeah. until this year. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And He's
2: playing for the Downs, who are, who, you know, who, who had a big success this year. So absolutely brilliant. Uh, and like he talks about, his turning point really was his mother. His yeah. mother got through to him, and very often families can't, even no. even families who who speak, you know, as hard, as, as honestly as they can, they didn't but he says he, he, he had he had been missing for a week and his mom texted him and uh, he just left a house party high in drugs but her words it she said she couldn't do this anymore my mother said she hadn't slept in 10 years because of me she said the only time she slept was when I was in a depressive state in bed because she knew where I was I knew it was time to go like that's how Torture. bad this guy was yeah, yeah. and that's a, and like he says and he says earlier in it um he never knew his father his mother was his mother and father you know he just dearly loves his mother clearly but when it's when it's that serious but uh, you know fantastic story wish him well wish wish he continues to stay clean because mm. that's that's the You're hard part but yeah. i can say just on the basis of that night he's got good friends mm. in the westmead football team
1: uh, just to finish then, because we're we're out of time. You both liked what Philip Lanigan produced in the Mail on Sunday.
2: Oh.
0: Yeah, Fantastic. I think we mentioned World War II earlier. Uh, he he interviews. Um, is Jimmy Gray? I think he's he was born in nineteen. Where have I got it here? Jimmy was born in uh, Jimmy Gray. These two two legends of Dublin football. They they both kind of recounted their lives in in books recently. And he sat down with Jimmy Gray and Mickey, Whelan, and Mickey Um Vian. And Jimmy Gray was born in 1929, the year of the Wall Street Crash. And Mickey Weiland was born in 1939. The year World War, World War II started, and the it's pi- just it's the, the picture of the two of them hand around the shoulder makes, makes the piece in a yeah. way. Yeah. It does, well. and, and, yeah. and the yarns. I mean, there's, there are. Oh, this is not a. You know, this stories. is not like Luke Lachlan, This is a. This is a, a, a kind of read in the ears of two men who shaped Dublin GA along with Kevin Heffernan and a few others over the last like more than half a century. Really, you know, they've been incredibly influential figures. Um, you know, there's a great story about Christy Ring. Who's with, yeah. There's stories about Charlie Haigh. There's Jack Charlton. Like Mickey ends up, with, on, 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 you know, in in with Jack Charlton and the team the night to beat Romania. It's about. Looking at the word count, what to say? Clean about three thousand words, oh. maybe four well, virtually and, it's, everyone it's, a gem. and it's great. It's, it's just loads and loads of and yarns isn't it? it's, Yeah, there's so much insight in it. So much good stories. Two guys who clearly get on really well together. So, still, we don't often get interviews with octogenarians, or I don't know how, what even. Like what, is Jimmy Gray in his nineties, you probably ninety-three. Is. 90 is ninety-three. Three. I don't even know what you call it a ninety-three-year-old. Yeah. Uh, um, I won't try to make up a word. But you know, you don't often get people who go back that far and, and clearly recall oh. their lives with great clarity and, and and, and like they've lived lives. I mean, they were around and you know, they, they talk about the, the, you know, the first interaction, one of them, the first interaction he Jimmy had. Uh, you know, Jimmy Gray. <laughs> first Jimmy one of Heffernan's first acts to offer him a cigarette. And then later on he says, I think it's him or maybe, maybe it's wheelan I'm mixing them up, but he says, one of my great regrets is that I smoked, I shouldn't have smoked. And it's one thing I've learned over the years. It's just, it's a lovely... Piece. It's a really good read. I'm very interested in Dublin GA, so it it, it 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 appeals. I'm 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 in I'm part of the target Market, but I think anyone will get I'm a lot from it. I'm not this.
2: from Dublin, and I just think it's just a brilliant read, and uh, uh, just so indicative of why you we should never stop talking to older people as well, because the, these two gentlemen, anybody who's ever met them knows how vibrant and how full of life they are, and how interested they are in everything. Jimmy worked as chairman of Dublin County Board. But there's just Barbara Bush is in here. I mean there's <laughs> everything in here. Well, um, how's Barbara Laura Bush in here? Laura, Bush, Laura. Laura Bush. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> because Bertie, was, Bertie was Bertie was with Patrick's Day, Bertie was over in the White House and um he was he was away for five days, yeah, and he loved to be at the club finals and he, he had an aide coming in and out during the meeting and, and uh uh Laura Bush, first lady, wondered whether there were alarm bells coming from Ireland. <laughs> she said, you I have your problems at home. And he said, you know, the aid to campus coming in. And I said, I oh, no not know, he's just giving me the scores. <laughs> but it has everything, including, as I said, the one that cracked me up is just as they're about to leave um, uh, Oh, and there's a lovely story about Stephen Cluxton as well about yeah. how he how he was keeping in touch with Mickey Whelan during lockdown and making sure he did everything he needed. Was he? Yeah, It just look I let people read it it's a, it's a really lovely lovely read but just everything as I said the antithesis to Martin O'Neill you know full of humanity full of love of life full of brilliant yarns the Christy Ring stuff is absolutely So what's the Christy amazing. Ring story? Well well they they ended up they end they end up on a tour um with with Christie uh, Christy Ring um, and an all-stars, an American invitation thing. But Ring played football as well as hurling, which I didn't know. He was He was 50 at the time, yeah. And um, he he went over and at halftime he called Mick O'Connell myself over. I didn't come down here to lose, he said, <laughs> 50 years of age. <laughs> and he said to Mick, he said to Mick, every ball you bet, you better give it to him and you better score. And then there's a brilliant story about him meeting uh Christy Ring subsequently um off the field, this is Jimmy and uh he's down. He sugar left one
0: from... on Jimmy. He left the, that was the that he left one on Jimmy in the game. He oh, basically that's right. took him yeah. out of the game. Yeah, Dublin played Cork and then a couple of years later. He, he, it take he, it up.
2: he meets him at, yeah, he meets him, he was down at the sugar company and Etna Hohey, who was Charlie's sister, was the receptionist and she said, There's a gentleman over there asking for a yen <laughs> it was Christy Ring, whose niece had applied for a job. <laughs> and he was saying, Listen, that young lassie of you mine, she's the best one for that job uh, you better make sure she gets it and don't forget the lesson I taught you in Cork that day <laughs> and it's just like, because Christy Rigg definitely was just a man who was obsessed Tough I mean, I mean yeah. hard as nails you know, but it's just uh, it's just brilliant you know Just it's just exactly what you want to read if you want to get insight and they're apparently both of them I think have books coming out in the in the hero books you know which is yeah. um, um, Liam Hayes' company does them and some of them are really fantastic and they, it looks as if both of those might have a book coming out but it's very hard I don't know whether you found out Rory, it's very hard when you interview two people together to put it together mm. well it takes ages and Philip just does such a good job here like he the, the quality of the writing is so good because he manages to get so much in
1: okay. very good that's a good note to finish on I think we are out of time Rory O'Connor thank you very much thank Clean you up. thanks guys The Sunday Papers
0: on Off The Ball